going to be talking about stewardship of the mind. Because we talk often about stewardship of our finances, stewardship of our time, stewardship of our talents, but we don't necessarily think about stewardship of the mind. And so I'm, um, I'm going to c- connecting this to what I said last week. Because if I don't know, if, 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 did anyone hear me last week? Does anyone remember anything I said? Yeah, I did. So last week I talked about the fact that stewardship is not about making the wise or prudent decision as opposed to a stupid one, but it's making the God decision. It's making the faith decision. It's making the life decision. And I've been thinking about this in relationship to our minds. And this has all got, I, I don't know if you've, I don't, the last little while I've been preaching, I've actually been um, inspired by the armour of God. So I've talked about the sword of the spirit. I've talked about the shield of faith. And tonight, I'd like to talk about the belt of truth. Because last year, in the middle of the year, actually, before I get to last year, this week, in the middle of the week, I, 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 dis- I had this like mind-blowing, like shocking experience that, that like I, I discovered something I didn't know. So here's what I found out this week. Like, so, you know, you learn things all the time, right? So this is what I found out this week. Now, if I stand in front of the mirror and I'm having a big decision-making, decision-making, you know, situation going on, you know, and you can stand in front of the mirror, I can have this entire conversation with myself in my own head, right? It's called, some people call it, it's actually officially, it's called your internal monologue. Anybody else have an internal monologue? Yeah, my internal monologue is usually great, quite neurotic and sends me way down a rabbit hole. You know, anybody got one a bit like mine? You know what I discovered this week? That only 90% of people have this. And that the other one person out of 10 cannot talk to themselves in their head. They actually have to talk to themselves out loud. And that if they just do the thinking in their head, they can only think in pictures or concepts. And, and I don't know, so there's like, would you like to, you know, alter call if anybody needs, would like an internal monologue? No, I'm joking. But you know how it's like, you know when you get that shock when you discover something like that and you go, because I've spent my entire life presuming that everybody has an internal monologue, just like mine. And I've just discovered that that's not true. There's probably at least five or four or five people in here who don't. Are you one of them, Zelda? That explains a lot. <laughs> I've heard Zelda mumbling in the kitchen. Oh, yeah. No wonder you have such trouble playing cards, not talk, table talking. <laughs> discover something like this and you've spent your whole life assuming that the entire world thinks like you and then you discover actually no what's really fun is when you're the one and you discover for the first time ever that there's like almost everybody else does something different to the way you do you know it's a lot of fun you find these things out it's quite shocking and and i call them like little revelations and it's like i'm quite shocked by this revelation 
Because he said, I'd assumed that when I was preparing this sermon, I'd presumed that everybody has this internal monologue, so I was going to talk all about internal monologues, right? Now I know that I have to talk about internal and external monologues. What are you saying to yourself, not just in your head, but what do you actually say to yourself out loud, depending on which way around you go, right? So it doesn't matter whether you're inside or outside, the voice, it's not just the voice inside your head, but the voice of your own talking. What do you say to yourself? This is what I would like to talk about. Because uh, I've, been reflect- I, well, I've been thinking, I'd like to turn to James, if I can find it. James is lost in my Bible. I know he's after Hebrews, but I had to go through the whole song. Internal monologue. <laughs> James, chapter 1, verse 2. We're going to start there. It says, My brethren counted all joy... When you fall into various trials. I love that verse, right? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It gets even better. But let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's like it turns around within a couple of verses. Isn't that great? And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Verse 7, it says this, For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You see, the stewardship of the mind is about what, what protection are you putting around your mind to make sure that you are not being unstable flip-floppy. That's what the stewardship of the mind is about. It's about that notion of, you know, if I'm going to be wise, not that I, you know, life-affirming faith with my finances, with my time, with my talents, all of that is actually underpinned first and foremost by what you're doing in your own internal or external monologue. And I had this revelation in the middle of last year and it went like, it sort of went a bit like this. I suddenly realised that a whole bunch of the things that I just assumed were unique Colette-isms that were a little bit quirky and strange, maybe, or just I just presumed that they were me. That's me. That's the way that God made me. I discovered that these things, that there is a whole bunch of them that I think of as being part of my innate personality, so therefore they're not changeable because you can't change your personality, Right? And we wouldn't want to because we need to be true to ourselves. That's what the world keeps telling us. That these things were not actually what God was actually saying who I was. That there's a whole bunch of stuff that as a person in the world that we live in, we just presume is what people are like. It's what I'm like. It's part of my personality. I can't help it. I need to be true to myself. When in actual fact... Those things that I'm thinking about myself bear no resemblance to what God says about me. 
And if I link this to this idea about the double-minded man, you see, sometimes I think we think that the double-minded man has to be somebody who, I believe in God, I don't believe in God. That's double-minded, right? I believe in God, I don't believe in God. An actual fact, in this promise in the book of James, this promise he says, Patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So this promise about lacking nothing is linked to this concept of not being double-minded. And so we can assume in this book of James that James is not writing to somebody who's double-minded, maybe a Christian, not a Christian, trying to make his mind up, right? This is a Christian who's double-minded, right? So how does a Christian get to be double-minded? And I've realised in my own head that there are two parts to the process. And it's like when you give a gift, right? If I buy a birthday present, it's my sister-in-law's birthday this week, I have bought her a present before the birthday, which is pretty impressive in my family because we basically just give people birthday presents at random times not related to their birthday. So if I give the present, right, I've got the present, I've bought the present, the present is for my sister-in-law. If I leave the present on my dining room table, does my sister-in-law get a birthday present? No. There always has to be, like, um, in order for the birthday present transaction to be over, I have to actually give the gift to the recipient. So there is always in the gift, and there is always in the promise of God, the giver... And then there is the receiver. So when it comes to my faith, this was my aha moment, was that I need to have faith. And we talk a lot about having faith in God, right? And knowing who God is and what God says about God. And I've worked out that I don't actually have a problem with that part of the puzzle. You know, I don't have any trouble believing what God says about God. That's easy. The other part of the puzzle, though, when it comes to this faith, is believing what God says about me, the receiver. So my faith is wavering, potentially. Your faith is wavering, not because you have a problem believing in God, but you have a problem believing what God said about you. And we end up by default, and default is very significant. By default, you end up believing in what the world tells you about yourself. How do we end up in that default? What's so powerful about the default? It's like computers. It's like, I don't know why, but on my computer, in the Word, right, I have to write things all the time. That's what I do, write things. My mum says, what do you do at work? I'm, I'm basically, I've told her the last time. I said, I sit at a computer and I type things. And she's quite satisfied with that explanation about what I do. So that's cool. But... I have noticed this. You know when you come and you open up a new document that the stupid thing defaults to American spelling? Yeah. <laughs> now, 
Now, I go in, right? And I change the setting to Australian English. Let's have some good Australian English, mate. Oi, oi, oi. But because it's a university computer and they do things to it, it keeps defaulting back to the original setting of the American Stupid Dictionary. I know, it's frustrating, right? You see, that exact same thing happens with ourselves. Is that, you know, we're going along great guns. We're all for God. We know what God says about us. Everything's all cool. Then some circumstance happens and the reset button somehow gets hit and we default back to what the world says about us. And you have to go all the way through the effort of retranslating. Anybody else have this experience with their computer and all their life? <laughs> yes, it's very frustrating. I know, you know what I've done? I've found a way around the problem. I found a way around the problem. This is what I do to my computer is that I teach the American Dictionary Australian spellings. <laughs> yeah, so I keep adding them to the dictionary. And so fewer and fewer words keep coming up, whether it's on the American Dictionary or not. And that's exactly what it's like with our own life. We have to get to that point where we have added to our dictionary the things that God says about you. So that when you get into the sticky situation, what God says about you is just as likely to come up as the other one. Or at least it comes up as alternatives and you get to pick. This, what I'm talking about, has got nothing to do with anything I've written in this notebook. <laughs> so just reset. <laughs> I'm trying to, and I'm trying to finish on time. You know, so I, I'm, I'm like, I'm, in, I'm encouraged by this thought because it's like, philosophically, how does this actually work? It's because do you realise that your physical body has a bunch of senses? When I was at school, they taught me I had five senses. Now we're up to about 40 of them. So there's heaps more that we didn't realise we had. You know, yeah, well, there's all sorts of things. Like, you actually have a sensation and they, they know where these things are measured, you know, that actually, so you know which way is up. You know, and they've, they've identified that that's a sense. Then all the little tiny hairs in your ear help with that. You know, so there's all these different types of senses that not just the five basic big ones that we know about. But you know what? Those things, all those nerve endings, wherever they are, are sending messages to your brain 24-7. That's actually like a continuous, constant message cycle. So if you get a back pain like I've had for the last two, I don't have any right now. I don't know where it went, but it disappeared when I came to church tonight. Um, so praise God, it will stay gone. Yes. You know, but I've had this really bad backache, like these little nerves have been sending little messages to my brain for like two or three weeks now. Not been fun. It's like it's constant. And after that, in the middle of the night, it wakes me up. You know, saying, hello, I'm here. And I'm like, shut up. You know, that's what they're doing. It's talking to you all the time. 
Anybody, you've experienced this. Things talk to you all the time. That's the natural cycle. And that is the natural cycle. If you listen to it and it by itself, it will lead you to death. Because that's what, that's how it's set up, right? After Adam sinned, that's how it was set up. That that natural cycle will talk to you and it will lead you to death. But God has established a different cycle. It's called the life cycle. And that's when you listen to something else and that something else takes you toward life. And what that something else is, is listening to what God says about you. And in the Bible, he has a bunch of different ways that he does this. I was going to talk about girding your loins and a whole bunch of stuff, but I'm just going to focus on one because I've only got a couple of minutes left, which is the way that God names things. Because how you identify in your own head, what you identify as being part of your personality, you get to name that. I mean, if you get onto the internet, you can discover you can do personality type tests and it can tell you that you got your some such thing. It's usually some sort of letter, number, combination. I'm a number five. I'm a number nine. I'm an ATPNFEXBJ personality <laughs> type. You know what I mean? You can go and find out and you can give it a label. You can slap that label on your forehead. Another classic one is this one. <laughs> the L personality for loser. You know, whatever it is, you can slap that label on and then... You're stuck with it because when you think about it, this is the label that comes up. Sometimes those labels are given you by other people. Now, you all know that I wrote a book in order to do that thesis, right? The book was about, I think, 80,000, between 80 and 100,000 words long, right? Yeah? Yeah, my year 11 English teacher said, and I quote, Colette will never write a good essay. I'd li- I wish I knew what her name was because I'd send her a message and say, I didn't write a good essay, but I did write a good book. <laughs> now I actually have a job editing books. It's quite ironic. <laughs> it's like I have a job writing things and editing things, ironically. You know, but I could have lived with this label my entire life and never written a thing, except for the fact that God interrupted me. And this is how he did it. I was in a church service. And it was one of those church services where you never had prophetic words. But on this particular day, the pastor who was preaching, he decided he was going to defy the rules and give a word to me. So he called me out from you know, wherever I was to the front and he, gave, and he said to me, God wants, says that you're supposed to be doing something and you haven't started yet and you better get started. And he looked at me and says, do you know what that means? I'm like, yes, I do. Because I, I knew that God had been telling me I should write, do my PhD. And so it took like a... Because the whole time I was going in my head, I had an internal monologue. It said, you'll never get... You know what it said? You'll never write a good essay. How are you going to write a thesis? <laughs> you'll never write a good essay. How are you going to write a thesis? Going round and round and round in my head. I did. <laughs> Thank you, Colin, for that one. I wrote myself off. Yeah, literally. But then I, I got back on the wagon and I enrolled and I wrote that thing. And there are people around the world reading that thing. It's scary when they go, oh, I read your thing. And I'm like, you what? It's a very long thing. I don't know how I got onto that. But it's these labels. 
That's right, labels, names. You know, and this is a pattern that God has actually used, is that, that when, he, when Abram and Sarai, he changed their names to Abraham and Sarah. And you might go, oh, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, guess what? He did the same thing in the New Testament. He changed Saul to Paul. He changed Simon to Peter. But you know what? You don't actually have to go and change your name by deed poll. I found a couple of other lot people in the Bible where they didn't bother changing their names. Jabez in Chronicles. Chronicles, where is it? Chronicles, Chronicles 4, 1 Chronicles 4. Jabez means pain. So his mother named the kid Pain. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Hey, Pain! For your whole life, Pain! You know what? Jabez prayed a prayer and his prayer was that I might not bring pain. You see, he could have identified with his name and spent his entire life feeling like he was causing everybody pain and therefore cutting himself off from those around about him. But instead, he prayed a prayer that said, even though I have the label, I know that that's not what God says about me. And he prayed for the abundance and out of that abundance, we end up with Jabez in a big bunch of boring people who only get listed by name. We actually know something about who Jabez was. Some other guys also that are, and I I was really interested in this, is that in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel 1, I don't know what verse, 6 and 7. Um, It tells us the story about Daniel. And then what are the other three guys' names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No, no, no. If you go and actually have a look in those scriptures, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azario. Daniel 1, verse 6. Yeah, yeah. Imagine it. What I find interesting in that, in that story in the book of Daniel is that Daniel's name was changed to Belshazzar, but the entire book is called Daniel. And through that entire book, he is known by Daniel, even though he was given a name by the world, he is known today by his God-given name, Daniel. And he saw incredible miracles under that name. But I think what's encouraging there is that the other three codgers, whose names we never know, Azaria and Mishael and all that sort of stuff, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, we all know. What happened to those three? Yeah, they, they survived a fiery furnace that killed the guys that threw them in. Yeah, well, I don't know where Daniel was. He was clearly somewhere praying for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Yeah, out in the country praying for them. You know, it didn't matter. Doesn't matter what the world might say that he's labeled. Doesn't even matter what you've labeled yourself. What actually counts is what God says about you. So as we come to a close, the music should come because I'm supposed to finish right now. I hope you take you take some encouragement that you know what? It doesn't matter what's been said about me. It does not matter. It does not matter what the world's labels might pin on me. 
might say that you, you know, you've got some sort of sickness. It might say you've got some mental health disorder. It might say you've got some sort of learning disorder. It might tell you that you can't write good essays. Well, I don't know if I can. I don't write them anymore because they're way too short. (laughs) Those things don't matter if we learn to listen to what God says about us. Those things are of naught. And I think if we go back to where I started in the book of James, that very often our double-mindedness is not about whether we believe in God or not or we have faith or not, but it's the double-mindedness is often is attached to the fact that while we can believe in God, we haven't yet come to the point where we believe in ourselves, in God and who God says that we are. And so I encourage you today, just as we sing, and I'm, think, and I'm just reminded, you know that song? Um, Michael, I don't know, Michael W. Smith plays, I know Richard doesn't. <laughs> you know the song has got the line, this is how I fight my battles? And then the other battle, the other, the other line, there's only two lines in the whole song. The other line says, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And I think that's a critical sentence like that's a critical it's like a sentence structure right it might look like whatever you can put in there but and there's power in the but because what it looks like is not what it is that is always the way it works what it looks like is not what it is